I think so many people enter the workforce with a big plan and a big strategy and big dreams and big ideas. And they get there and they start and they realize the ladder just isn't going to reach there. They're going to have to do something different. And it's hard. And you've really got to overcome a self-doubt and a lot of logistics on the other side. I use logistics as a pun because we're going to talk about that next with Tom Nightingale. This is a dash of grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. So folks, one of the phrases I don't like very much, and this won't surprise you, but the grass is always greener on the other side. I just feel like someone else is in that green grass telling you to stay back or someone else failed trying to get to the green grass. Nothing wrong with failure, but didn't try again and wants to hold you back too. Misery loves company. And I just don't think there's any room for that. I think that people ought to be able to go for it. And I think sometimes it takes guts and courage and grit to go for it. Um, But you know, if someone tells you the grass is always greener on the other side, maybe it is. And maybe you need to find out. And that's what we're going to talk about today uh, with Tom Nightingale. He's the chief executive officer at AFS Logistics based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm thrilled to introduce you to Tom Nightingale. Tom, thank you for being our guest on A Dash of Grit. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. And I can't wait to tell your story because it's a great one. And I want to start by you share with people kind of what is AFS Logistics? What are you excited about? What does success look like for you? Because you've built a great company. Yeah. So I'm really fortunate actually to be just shepherding the next chapter of this company's history. We've been around for 40 years. Uh, We are still founder-owned and in many ways, very founder-driven. We've had the good fortune of being at the intersection of an interesting business model and an interesting time in the industry and supply chain. Supply chain has become obviously very top of mind for a lot of people, uh, particularly during the pandemic. And our job is to help our customers move their products in the most expeditious way possible and to do that at prices and with carriers that they might not be able to find on their own. So we're a non-asset based, non-asset biased, third-party logistics provider uh, with eight locations around the country, um, including the Canadian location, which is our newest addition. And we've made 22 acquisitions in our 40-year history. Wow. And so you've grown through finding opportunities and growing into the ability to serve elsewhere. And you've never seen a situation like this in the logistics world. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's a crazy time right now. Uh, There's been very, very few occasions in really the history of logistics and certainly in my career where every mode of transportation is just tight and pushing up against another mode. Uh, You know, normally, you know, the truckload sector gets a little bit of relief from the less than truckload sector or the less than truckload sector gets a little bit of relief from the parcel sector. Right now, every mode of transportation is absolutely at capacity. Um, which is really creating some unique situations for us. And it's bringing customers to us at rates that we've never seen before. And I'm wondering, before we talk about you a little bit, I'm wondering what makes you different? What makes AFS Logistics because, uh, different? Because everybody's struggling with this. And lots of folks aren't finding solutions. They're putting their customers on a back order and a backlog and, and just dealing with tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. What, what makes your company different being able to satisfy people's needs that way? Yeah, it's a great question, Brian. So as I kind of alluded to earlier, we're non-asset based and non-asset biased. And what that what does means, that mean? 
Yeah, what that really comes down to is our job is to bring the best possible combination of carriers and solutions to our customers. And we do it in a fully transparent way. So our interests are perfectly aligned with our customers' interests. So as they save more money, that's how we get paid. If we mm-hmm. don't save them any money, we don't get paid. So we earn our keep every single day with every shipment that moves. Okay. So you're really personally invested in every single transfer customer opportunity that you have, because that's how you're going to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And that's, so yeah, I imagine we'll talk about a little bit more about the grit that it takes to run a logistics company now. And, and, uh, but right now I'm really interested in your sharing the story. I set it up earlier about the grass is always greener and, and how sometimes, you know, we don't take those steps. And I know that you've had some, some experience in your life where you had to overcome some things that's called grit. That's what this show is all about. And uh, Tom, do you mind sharing us when things weren't as good as they are now uh, yeah, you had to overcome? I'd be happy to. I'd be absolutely happy to. So, you know, I'm going to roll the clock back all the way to 1990. Um, so I had started my career off right out of undergrad um, with a very large logistics provider that everybody knows by name. Um, and in 1990s, this company didn't have a career posting system. There was no job posting. There was no way to really kind of accelerate your career. And I just felt like I was stuck. I felt like there was no easy way for me to go. It was really kind of a coattail society. Uh, If you were on the right coattails, you were okay. If you weren't, look, I was in upstate New York. I was kind of marginalized. It was off to the side, but I felt like I could do more. I felt like I could create more value for companies, whether it was that company or any other company. But in order to get there, I had to figure out how to make those moves. And, And that you know, being stuck was really the thing that I had to overcome. And kind of the method that I used is I had the good fortune of having a couple of really good mentors along the way. Um, and I really have always subscribed to the fact that I'm, I'm a reasonably smart guy, but not super smart. And certainly none of us is as smart as all of us. So if I can find a mentor who will give me guidance, who will give me some coaching, who will give me some perspective, I'm going to be so much better off for it. Mm-hmm. And one of those mentors had some great advice. He said to me, he said, look, don't wait for somebody else to invest in your success. So I thought long and hard about that. And I decided, all right, I'm going to go out and get, bite the bullet. I'm going to go to grad school. So I'm going to go out and get my MBA. And I'm going to use that as my means to kind of pivot this career into a role that was larger than the sales territory that I was covering. I love doing sales, but I had gotten to a point where I felt like I had kind of mastered it. I had kind of created the value that I was going to create for the company. And I wanted to get into a different role where I could kind of go exponentially up that curve again. Mm-hmm. Thought the MBA would be the way to do it. So I get about two thirds, maybe even three quarters of the way through the MBA. And there's clearly not a path for me with my current employer. Like they don't know what they're going to do with me. So I had another mentor, different one from the first one. He said to me, he says, Tom, this company doesn't know what to do with an MBA. They don't really even know what to do with an undergrad degree. Hmm. And if you don't use that MBA within a year of when you get it, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. Now, that might have been a little draconian, and, but it was his advice to me. And I, and I took it to heart and I started to look around and I started to, to find other opportunities and, you know, for some of your your listeners that it, you know they can't even fathom the days before the internet, you know, apply oh, for know. apply for a job out of the Wall Street Journal because the Thursday section of the Wall Street Journal was when the jobs were posted. Yeah, thankfully was was successful in getting one of those roles, 
and use that MBA and use those mentors to really put my career onto a different trajectory and take it from a pure sales role into a much broader commercial role. And then as you roll that clock forward now, yeah. you know, because you think back to the, you know, kind of late 90s, early 2000s, the skills that really got you to be the CEO were the skills of engineering and finance. Mm-hmm. But here we are today and the world rewards growth. Yes. So, sales, revenue, absolutely. generation. Yep. Absolutely. And you got it. And and it was really amazing to me because I, I kind of got lucky in that I had this great base to build off of. And that base, you know, originally I wasn't so sure. I thought, man, I should have gotten an accounting degree, even though I'm not much of an accountant. Should have gotten an engineering degree, even though I'm not, really not much of an engineer. But now the world wants growth. And to have those skills, to have that mentorship, to then be able to apply those those skills and those learnings onto a larger canvas at a CEO level has been a phenomenal gift for me. And I've been really, really fortunate. But that's what I'm really interested in is that at some point fairly early on, you kind of realize, look, I want to do things, but that's fitting well with now. It didn't fit well with then. You were a very successful salesperson in a very successful organization. I imagine making a little bit of money, uh, maybe build a family. I don't know all the different logistics here. Um, But you saw something that kind of didn't exist and wanted it and went after it. And that's risky. And I was wondering, you know, if you can remember back, what were you thinking about at the time? What what was what thoughts were going through your mind? Did you ever tell yourself, uh, no, just stay where you're at, it's okay? Or or did you just, you know, I'm I'm courageous and I'm just gonna fly? Which was it? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's a mix. You go through all those emotions when you're, you know, you're in your 20s. Um, you're looking around you at your peers, and these are are people who have been very comfortable in the roles for a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, lots of people I worked with were 20, 30 Good old years old boy network company. and everything. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and you think to yourself, I could be comfortable here. You know, I just yeah. bought my first house. You know, I signed my first mortgage. I had just gone through grad school. And I was like, you know, I could be just fine if I stay where I am. Yeah. But I just felt like that wasn't what I could do. I felt like there was more out there. And that if I was given the chance to create more value for a company, that I'd actually be able to go do that. It was the hard thing for me was just figuring out that roadmap, knowing what it was, what was going to be that that breakthrough, you know, that was going to take me out of upstate New York, kind of the, you know, the end of this company's universe, so to speak, mm-hmm. and get me recognized either by them or by another company and put me into a position where I could go create more value. And and it was a tough decision because, you know, going for the MBA is not a small commitment. And that's what I'm wondering about. You decided to pursue education instead of just job hop. And and that's kind of where I was going with the grass is always greener. Like you put the work in to say, look, I need to expand. I think this is what you were saying. I need to expand my my abilities and my skill sets here. A lot of salespeople bounce to the executive director job and then the director of sales job and then the and they're still selling. It's just another name on their business card. What encouraged you to generate the additional education? How did you know? You said the mentors knew. That's is that what you relied on? Yeah, the, the mentors were really important to me. Um, they helped kind of kick me into a different gear. Hmm. And you know, there there's nothing wrong with a great sales job. I mean, I, I think there are wonderful, wonderful salespeople in this world. I was kind of a 
I was an okay salesperson. I think I was decent. Um, but I felt like for me to really create more value, it was going to be more than just sales. It was going to be the full wide gauge of commercial sales, marketing, account management, strategy, pricing, M&A, the full bag. And that wasn't going to come without some catalyst. I needed that, that thing, that thing that broke me free, that thing that made me different than every other salesperson out there. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever have any, any instance when uh, it just, it felt like maybe this wasn't going to happen. Like maybe you'd picked the wrong thing. Maybe you should have just stayed. And another way to ask the question is if you look back now and you hadn't done that, you know, kind of would, where would you be, you know, think about that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I will tell you uh, the very last course, the one that was required to get, to finish the MBA was an economics course and very, very few people passed that in one semester. And boy, did I work hard to pass that one. Yeah. Uh, there were moments there where I was not at all sure I was going to get out, let alone get out on time. And uh, that economics course uh, at, at Syracuse University was probably the defining moment for me to get uh, through things that I felt were tough. You know, like this was, this was a tough course to do on top of a brand new house, on top of having a fiance, on top of traveling and working 60 hours a week in the day job. It was not easy. And thankfully, I fought through it. And as I look at, you know, just careers in general, they're really games of inches. And that game of inches was my willingness to just dig deep and suck it up and, and get that course and well that all of that coursework but certainly that economics course that unfortunately i saved for the last semester yeah i uh, get that one finished and as i look at the people that i worked with they they've had wonderful lives they really have and they're good people and they're good salespeople, and they're they've had great careers some of them gone on to do even better things mm -hmm. but for the majority they're really still very comfortable where they were and my comfort level is generally being uncomfortable. I like being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and that was kind of how I started to understand that a little bit better, was pushing myself out of my comfort zone, having those mentors that, as I said before, kind of pushed me into a different gear. And so what did that teach you then next? When Because now you're in a brand new position and you've got this education, the book smarts, right? Now you've got to put them to action and you've got to show your abilities. Where and you grew through all that. Where did where were you able to use that experience and overcome the next level of grit along the way? Yeah, so there was a kind of a clarifying moment. Uh, I was working for another logistics company right after that, um, and I had gone into this kind of more typical role. Um, in essence, the same the same role that had existed for seventy years, um, and it was my second job within this company. And uh, I was getting ready for work one morning. I just thought to myself, gosh, why am I not more excited to go to work today? Hmm. And I realized it was because I was in a job where I wasn't creating or fixing. And, and I came to this kind of shower, what I refer to as a shower epiphany that morning, that I'm happiest when I'm building and fixing and therefore learning more. And that, that process of experiential learning has always been kind of core to what I do and how I, I grow as an individual and how I help other companies grow. 
because you can learn in a book and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you need that as I did in order to give yourself the confidence that you can do more in order to give yourself that credibility stamp that you can do more. But that actual experiential learning that most adult learners do better with is so much more impactful and you retain so much more out of it and you create so much more value out of it for the companies that you're working for. That shower epiphany for me was I'm happiest when I'm building and fixing and therefore learning more. Mm. And, and that's kind of what I've subsequently gotten very, very comfortable with is putting myself into myself into a situation where I'm inherently uncomfortable and therefore learning more. So you're comfortable being uncomfortable, which means you're comfortable, right? Follow with, with the way that it, it works that way. Are you ever satisfied? The reason I ask is there's people out there listening right now that are like, I'm stuck, but I've got a mortgage and I've got a family and I've got college to pay for. And I just, I, I just don't want to make that commitment. I'm, I'm okay where it's at. I'm wondering if you ever are satisfied Tom, or if you just have to be the kind of person that's just willing to take risks and find the next challenge to overcome, how do, how do you rank that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really never satisfied. I'm always looking for something more. Now yeah. that more can come within a company yeah. by us adding a new product, a new service, making another acquisition, or if the company can't kind of keep pace with where I feel like I need to go, then I'll leave. Um, and I've managed my career aggressively and I've taken those risks. And thankfully, I've got a family that's very supportive of me taking those risks and it hasn't always been easy on them. Um, but, you know, everybody's got different levels of risk tolerance. And as long as that company can keep up, and that's one of the reasons I absolutely love this company is because we have such an appetite for growth. There's so much upside for us being non-asset based and non-asset biased that once we continue the growth trajectory that we're on, I mean, the sky's the limit here. It's yeah. just phenomenal. It, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I can keep adding products on here. We can keep acquiring companies here. There's so much that we can do with this company. It's really exciting. And so you're in a position where you can always look for something better and always figure out what to, to build to actually go out and challenge yourself and, and get that done. What would you say to somebody, um, you know, Giving advice is, is easy to do, right? But what would you say to somebody that is stuck and and not sure whether they can take that next step and and you know whether they should or not? You know, not everyone should, right? What 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 would you suggest? You've been through it. Yeah, I think the key is first understand yourself, understanding what your risk tolerance is. Sometimes it's dictated by exogenous factors such as your mortgage, your family, your you know, you may have a, an elderly parent or something that's going to keep you more geographically tied or keep your risk tolerance down. I understand that completely. Every situation is different and they change over time. Number two, I would say you want to have mentors. You want to have people around you who will give you some really honest perspective and give you the wisdom that they've gained through their careers. Yes. Um, there's always somebody smarter. There really is. And they want to help, mean, don't they? And they're excited to. Yeah. I mean, one of these mentors, he had been an executive vice president at Wells Fargo very, very early in his career. He had such amazing life experiences. And here I am, an individual contributor salesperson in a rural upstate New York territory. 
And he's more than happy to pour that experience into me and just help me think about things differently. There's no way I would have done that without him. Yeah. So what's next for, for Tom Nightingale? What's next for AFS Logistics? There are opportunities to display grit around every corner. What's the next challenge or hurdle that you're going to need to overcome? It's growth. It is yeah. growth. This company has so much potential. Um, we really spent the better part of the last 18 months replatforming the technology here. So we are poised for growth. We've invested really heavily in sales to now be able to add all those sales into that new platform, um, we have tremendous opportunities. The plan was to double this company in five years. I think we will more than exceed that plan. Uh, we've got the team around us to do it. They're amazing. I've been so fortunate to bring in a great team and inherit a great team and to put these guys onto a, a trajectory where they can just win. And, and, and I think they'll win big. They're such a great team. What's going to happen that you're going to have to show grit to overcome that could get in the way of that? I think you're going to hit it and I think you're going to get it done, but you know what could go wrong. What could go wrong that your company is well-situated to overcome? Well, the reality is this is logistics. This is a very, very competitive space. And the whole world has recognized that there is a revenue opportunity in logistics thanks to the pandemic. I mean, yep. when, when people started running out of toilet paper, they, they understood logistics pretty quick. <laughs> That's what it took, didn't it? <laughs> so, so there is no shortage of competitors who are coming for our existing 1,800 clients every single day. There are no shortage of competitors when we're going out after number 1,801 every single day. And then we're set up against a macroeconomic backdrop that none of us know the outcome of. Yeah. We know, none of us know whether or not there's going to be a sustained uh, freight recession. None of us know what the global economy is going to look like, what interest rates are going to do. So there's no shortage of challenges in this industry. Um, but thankfully, with a team like we've got, uh, we can overcome any of those challenges. The Dash of Grit podcast is brought to you by Spire. Spire creates results-driven digital marketing and websites that help companies grow. Are you ready to break through the barriers that hold your company back? Take your growth higher with Spire. Learn more at spiread.com. Tom Nightingale, thank you very much for being on our show. I think you're well positioned to accomplish that growth and those changes because your past, you said, look, I need to set things in place. I can't just bump around and jump around and hope and wish and, and bowl my head into a wall and knock it over and get it done. I need to put things in place. You went out and got education. You, you, you took the steps to make sure you're right. And then like you've already said, you put those things in place in your company. You've got a team and you're ready to withstand any challenge in any comers. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here and share the story. It's uh, hopefully there's something in it for, uh, for all your listeners. I think there is. I think there's a lot of people that are stuck and a lot of people not quite sure what to do, especially nowadays. And I'm glad we're here to help uh, hopefully inspire them. If someone did want to reach out to you to, to, to talk about mentorship or things that you've learned, or even to talk about perhaps they're a customer uh, and they need some logistics help or whatever it might be, how would they do that? So it would be uh, T Nightingale, N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E at AFS.net, AlfredFrankSam.net. Perfect. Tom Nightingale, CEO of uh, AFS Logistics. Thank you so much for being on our show. The Dash of Grid is better off for it, and we appreciate it. Folks, we do this once a week, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. You can catch all the past episodes of Dash of Grit on dashofgrit.com. Until next time, stay gritty and go get them. This is a Dash of Grit. 
Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. 